Welcome to the Rob Burgess Show. I'm, of course, your host, Rob Burgess. On this, our 242nd episode, our guest is Alexandria J. Ravignel. Alexandria J. Ravignel is an assistant professor in sociology at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, a faculty fellow with the Center for Urban and Regional Studies, and a 2023-2024 Russell Sage Foundation visiting scholar. Her newest book, Side Hustle Safety Net, How Vulnerable Workers Survive Precarious Times, was released by the University of California Press on October 24th. Her first book, Hustle and Gig, Struggling and Surviving in the Sharing Economy, was released in March 2019. She is currently working on two mixed methods research projects, Work in the Time of COVID-19, previously funded by an NSF Rapid Response Grant, currently funded by the Russell Sage Foundation, to study the impact of the coronavirus pandemic on precarious and gig workers in New York City, and After the Hustle, funded through a Ewing Marion Kaufman Foundation inaugural Knowledge Challenge grant, examining the impact of high-status gig work and sudden platform closing on gig economy entrepreneurs. And now on to the show. I'm Alexandria Ravidel. I'm an assistant professor at the University of North Carolina and the author of Side Hustle Safety Net, How Vulnerable Workers Survive Precarious Times. Right. And um, it's a very interesting subject. Uh, obviously, it's very timely, um, given the uh, you know state of our economy. Uh, but what prompted you to write this book? What was uh, the impetus for it? Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> you know, like lots of people, uh, March 2020 came and rolled around and uh, I found myself locked down and relying on gig workers to deliver groceries, um, to, you know, provide food deliveries and found myself wondering what is it like for these workers? You know, we have this huge expansion of unemployment assistance. So why aren't they going on unemployment if it's so much money? And also, you know, what is it like for them to be out there when everybody else is staying at home? How do they feel about that? Is this a conscious decision? What's going on? And so that led to interviewing 199 gig and precarious workers um, in two waves during the first, uh, sort of the deepest and second deepest round of COVID. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that obviously COVID definitely um, shifted our society in so many ways and kind of exposed uh, things that were already there that just became more apparent than ever. So. Um, what were some of the most surprising things that you heard from people that you didn't expect? Yeah. Um, so I, you know, this book was inspired by COVID, but I also definitely say this is not a book about the pandemic, right? We are all mm -hmm. very tired of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, I think the most surprising thing for me was just the erosion of the social safety net that we have seen. You know, we typically think about unemployment assistance as something that we can count on. You know, you lose your job, well, you'll go on unemployment. But in reality, 
workers very much fall into three groups. We have these officially unemployed workers who get unemployment assistance. We have the forgotten jobless who don't get unemployment assistance, who don't get it for a variety of reasons, including that they don't want to go on unemployment. They think it's stigmatized. And then we have what I call uh, polyemployment workers, people with multiple jobs who get maybe some unemployment, but then some weeks they don't. And they're in this really difficult situation where they often have to turn to these survival strategies that end up being kind of a little- What qualifies as a side hustle and what is just your main employment or what about people that cobble together an income through many side hustles and like usually i think of a side hustle it's like uh you have main thing and then you do something else on the side but i'm sure there's people that are just patching together with several yeah so most of the workers that are doing polyemployment um are going to fall into these two groups right so we have some people that do have you know a part-time job or some type of side gig side hustle um and and i think that's much more prevalent than people realize you know those side hustles those side gigs can include everything from selling clothes on poshmark or selling things on ebay to walking a friend's dog a couple of times a week for some extra cash um and, and it's something that a lot of times people don't even really think about until you really start to kind of like dial in and really ask them like, well, you know, that item you purchased, how did you pay for that? Where did that money come from? How did you get it? And then a lot of people who are doing gig work really are piecing together work in a variety of ways. You know, not that long ago, there was this movement to sort of call these workers hyphenated workers, right? So you're a a model, an actor, and a food server with an Etsy business, right? Um, but that's an actual thing. Like there are a number of the workers that I interviewed who were doing three, four jobs like that. You know, uh, my book actually opens up with a guy who's got two part-time jobs. Um, and he's, that's how he's sort of piecing things together. You know, 20 hours a week here, 20 hours a week there. And one of the reasons why this is so prevalent is that this idea that you could work 40 hours a week at a minimum wage job is not really an option. You know, we've seen a lot of companies move to sort of this just-in-time scheduling where they want to make sure you don't get, they want to make sure you don't get health insurance by working 30 hours a week. So yeah. only put you on the calendar, on the schedule for 16 hours a week or 20 hours a week or 24 hours a week, but you can't support yourself working just 24 hours a week unless you have a trust fund. Um, and so that means that people end up working multiple jobs or they have, you know, one, let's say, uh, heavy hour part-time job, right? Working just under 30 hours a week. And then they're filling in the gaps because it's hard to schedule around that with doing this gig work with the side hustle work. I'm actually writing my third book right now because apparently I took Publisher Parish a little too seriously. Um, and this third book is looking at what happens when all that money ends. You know, the funding ended, but the pandemic kept going. Right. And while 
lots of people are like, oh, you know, you can't let it rule your life. You got to realize these are workers that are in face-to-face -face jobs, right? They don't have the option of working in an office and turning on their HEPA filter. They don't have the option of working remotely. They are bagging your groceries or more likely supervising the electronic checkout while you bag your own groceries. Um, and so, you know, they, they are very much on sort of like the front lines in terms of catching this. There's no paid sick leave for them. They don't have health insurance. Um, and so this is, you know, we, we gave these workers an opportunity to dream. And, and I'm happy to talk about how much some of these workers dreamed. Um, we gave them a chance to dream and to really envision a different life for themselves. And then we pulled all that money away. Mm. And it is really, I get goosebumps every time I talk about this, because it is, it is really astounding what we did to people. You know, we, we started off really strong, right? Oh, your stimulus checks and unemployment checks and enhanced unemployment and everyone gets unemployment and child tax credit. And then we took it all away. Mm -hmm. And we left people in some cases worse off than they had been before. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And... I think the myth that went on was that people like were like, oh, I don't need to work. Uh, and also, I love how they had the whole no one wants to work anymore. It's like a million people just died in a disease. Did you think any of them maybe had those jobs that you are saying that people don't want to have anymore? Is this possible that a million people dying had something to do with like why you can't fill these awful jobs? <laughs> You know, a, a million people died. How many more millions ended up with long COVID? Sure. And then how many Absolutely. ended up taking care of those people who have long COVID? You know, I, I was thinking about this. I, I'm an academic. And when we post jobs and you have to have a PhD, so, you know, it's already a tiny portion of the population that can apply for this job. We will post a job and there will be 300 applicants for that job. I don't know where this idea of a labor shortage is. If you have a job that you tell people, hey, it's going to be a stable job. You play your cards right. You'll have a job for the rest of your life. People will pick up and move anywhere for that work. Mm. Um, so no, you know, but if you, yeah, if, if you're paying minimum wage or you're trying to get by with even paying less than minimum wage and telling people, oh, you're a receptionist, but we're going to make you an independent contractor mm. to save ourselves money. Yeah, you're going to have a hard time hiring for that job. And you know what? You should have a hard time hiring for that job because you wouldn't do it. So why mm -hmm. should you expect somebody else to do it? I know. And it's like, it's all these things where it's like you're a kid and you don't realize the, how much just regular stuff costs and like, I saw a home alone when I was like a kid and, <laughs> and uh, you know, that, that seemed like a nice house. That seemed like the family was doing well, I guess. I didn't think it was any particularly nicer than any other family in a movie, but now I see that and I'm like, this dad was involved in some white collar crime to be able to afford this. There's no way who can afford Paris first class on the holidays in this house. With 20 people. Stuff, with 20 people. Yeah. And you can just inquire when times get tough about hiring a private jet. Get out of here. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like, and uh, yeah, like how does anyone afford anything in this economy and what people are paying in minimum wage being what it is? It's just uh, insulting. Like minimum well, what's minimum based on? Has it been the same for what, 20 years now federally or something like that? I mean, we've had some increases. What was the last increase? I want to say since Obama. 
Obama or maybe was during it? Obama, we had it. It was a, like a while ago, at least a long time ago. Oh, at yeah. least I mean, a decade. it's very much not uh, not linked to inflation in any way. I mean, that's why some cities and states have gone to like a living wage. But even that is not keeping up. Like no. in New York, I think they've said like a living wage is like $30. And no, there are very few jobs are going to be paying that much unless you're very well educated. Right. And even then, you know, you're going to need often possibly a roommate because rents are so high or a spouse, a partner of some sort, somebody else is making money or, or trust fund, right? Like just, just make sure you're born into the right family. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and they're very good with their money and they set up a trust for you. Yeah. The, the best piece of financial advice I can give anyone is be born rich. It really helps. <laughs> like it, it really, it really works in your favor. Um, but um yeah, it's just, it's, it's insulting and it's, it's gone on so long now that there was the fight for 15, 15 isn't living wage anywhere. You know what I mean? Like, like 15 is a memory, like, like of being even a decent wage, you know, we got to go 20, 25, even more, you know what I mean? To get even close to, uh, you know, buying a house in all your research of side hustles, what to you seems like the best side hustle. Like if you had to pick one of these side hustles to do, which one would you pick? You know, my, my usual advice when somebody says, well, which side hustle should I do? It's, uh, it's called getting a part-time job. Um, mm. You know, a, the problem with a lot of these side hustles, the problem with a lot of the gig work, whether it's platform-based or or not, just doing freelance work, is that it's paid as 1099 work. That's mm. independent contractor work. And so, you know, when you're an independent contractor, they you have very few workplace protections. You, you have no workplace protections. Mm -hmm. um, you don't get workers' comp. You don't get unemployment, barring a literal act of Congress. Um, you don't get contributions for Social Security and Medicare. You have to actually make those contributions yourself on behalf of the employer and pay your share. But one of the biggest things is that, you know, when you have a job with an employer and your W-2, the employer remits your tax liability. Right. So you get your paycheck and you look at it and the first time you get your paycheck, you're always like, oh, my gosh, where did all the money go? Because you're like, where where is it? What's this line that says New York? What's this line that says federal? What's this, you know, FICA, all this. But when you are responsible for paying your own taxes, when you're 1099, you you have to take that money and put it on the side. Mm -hmm. And so for a lot of people, you know, you get a deposit. $200. You're like, all right, let's go spend that $200. Rent is due. I need new tires for the car. But in reality, it's not $200. It's maybe $120 because you need to take 80 of that and put it in a high interest savings account mm. so that you can pay your taxes. And if you don't do that, you're going to end up like a lot of the workers that I've interviewed who are now in debt to the IRS mm. and are on payment plans mm. from their side hustle. Mm -hmm. um, and there's really, <laughs> there are a few things more demoralizing than realizing that you took on this part-time job to improve your lot. And somehow now you are in debt to the IRS, which does not mess around. I mean, they don't break kneecaps, but it's, it's not real mm -hmm. high on people's to-do list. Um, and so, you know, a lot of times you'd probably be better off trying to get like a part-time job. Um, you, 
The one side hustle I would say that I did see somebody have um, that seemed pretty good, if nothing else, because it seemed kind of entertaining, was writing um, online dating profiles. <laughs> um, because, you know, she was able to do it at home, um, comfort of her own home, sort of on her own schedule. Um, but, you know, as with all of this work, there is a significant downside. And that means that she is writing these online dating profiles for in her, in this woman's words, for some of these men who were definitely, um, they had very different perspectives than she did about the role of women in the world mm. and um, what they were looking for. And they probably subscribed to some like incel websites. <laughs> yeah. yeah, doesn't sound like a, a dream job in that respect, but um, yeah, well, um, You've, you've mentioned, uh, you know, the federal and, and legal challenges. What what kind of changes could be made in uh, terms of legislation or any kind of, you know, federal or, or state action that could help people who are going through this side hustle game? Yeah. So there are a lot of changes that could be made. Um, you know, one thing to keep in mind is oftentimes... Um, gig work, side hustle work becomes the safety net when people don't turn to unemployment assistance. And that was both during the pandemic and when the pandemic, you know, pre-pandemic even, people would often turn to side hustle work instead of unemployment. In fact, there's some research suggesting that if rideshare is an option in a community, people who lose their jobs are less likely to uh, go for unemployment assistance. They're more likely to be like, oh, I'll just, you know, I'll drive for Uber, I'll drive for Lyft. So one of the first things we need to do is make sure that unemployment assistance is available for people. Um, to make sure that they know about unemployment assistance um, and to make sure that they are able to get it. You know, in recent years, a lot of states have been very much slashing their unemployment benefits. And this is something that's happened since the Great Recession. So in some states, like in North Carolina, it ends up being a recipiency rate of only about 10%, which means that a lot of workers who are eligible for unemployment assistance, don't apply and receive it um, because they view it often as not enough money, um, too much hassle, or because they just don't know that they're eligible for it. So one of the major things that we need to do is make sure that states are penalized if they don't give unemployment assistance to people who need it. You know, unemployment assistance is an economic stabilizer. It is something that keeps our economy going. And we are such a consumer-driven society that your spending funds my paycheck, my paycheck funds your spending. I mean, it's very circular. And so when states deny unemployment assistance to their workers, and those workers turn to side hustles instead, it ends up actually sort of driving their economy down, right? It destabilizes um, our economic system. Um, the other thing that we need to do 
is stop allowing companies to just make their workers independent contractors. There's really no reason why companies need to classify their workers as independent contractors. This is really just a cost savings for these companies. Um, and oftentimes we let them get away with it because they say that they are a technology company and that's ooh, big and scary. Um, and, you know, the other thing we should do is really link unemployment assistance to inflation. You know, we were just talking about how minimum wage has an increase. Well, unemployment assistance hasn't increased either. That's why they had to do that extra $600 a week early in the pandemic. Um, you know, when unemployment was first created, the intention was that it would replace about 50% of a worker's pay for up to six months, 26 weeks. And now we're looking at closer to 40% at most. And in some places for as little as just three months. Mm. So all those things together really combine to, you know, to push workers into gig work. Um, and sometimes they get stuck in gig work. It can be difficult to leave. You know, there's so much about our society that really blames workers when oh, they sure. lose their jobs. Um, and, you know, so I, I've... I've lost my job several times and been on unemployment assistance. And yeah, you know, they'll, you are actually required in many states to accept any job that you are off. And so you find yourself in this weird position where it's like, well, I could probably get that job, but what if that job isn't enough money to support myself? Like, where's that mm. going to, you know, push me? Um, right. Yeah, it's it's a very broken system. And there is some movement right now to change it. Uh, Senator Wyden is kind of in the process um, as sort of, you know, going through very slow process in Congress uh, to kind of work on some bills to over ramp things, because even though it's a state run system, there is federal government oversight for it. Mm. Yeah. Well, what do you think about universal basic income? I think it's brilliant. I think it's exactly what we need. Um, yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I tell people I grew up in a very conservative household. Um, you know, my dad with Rush Limbaugh on oh, the sure. radio, um, you know, very like religiously conservative, the whole nine yards. Um, and I, I started writing this book and I did not think that I was going to finish this book by being like, we need a universal basic income. But you read the stories in this book and it's very focused on the stories, the workers talking in their own words about what they're experiencing and the challenges, the opportunities. And I very much walk away saying, we need a basic income scheme. We need reverse taxation. Um, you know, the things that these workers were able to do when they got that enhanced unemployment assistance, you know, it ends up being about $21,000 over 18 months, but it's dependable money. In many weeks, they're making more than they've been making while doing gig work. They don't have to hustle, you know, run from one place to another doing deliveries. And it is truly life-changing, Rob. Like I have never, I've never interviewed people and been like, oh, wow, I want to personally give you another $21,000 and see what you do. Mm. Um, and But this was astounding. I mean, there was one, there was one woman that we interviewed who 
um, pre-pandemic, she had been working part-time as a stylist. She was struggling with some um, drug and alcohol dependency issues. And when she got her unemployment assistance, um, she actually uses the money to uh, complete trainings to become a drug and alcohol counselor. And now she's helping other people with their addictions. Mm. Um, she's pretty crazy. Um, there was a young man, college educated, who had turned to driving for Uber when he finished college. He had looked for a job. He hadn't found anything. He had some health issues for a little while that made it hard to get a full-time job. So he started off driving for Uber. He drove for Uber for four years. Mm. And he's he's just kind of besides himself in the first round of interviews is like, why, like what happened in my life? Why am I still doing this? I have a college degree. I, I've made some really bad life decisions. He finally gets his unemployment assistance and it's very delayed for gig workers, right? Cause first they don't, you know, originally they don't qualify. It's not until the cares act that they do. And it takes time for the States to kind of ramp up and take their applications. So by the time he gets his unemployment assistance, it comes in a big lump sum of about $8,000 and it arrives on the day that is the anniversary of, of his stepdad's death. Mm. And he he opens up his bank account on his phone and he just starts crying. Mm. Like, and he just feels this overwhelm, like, oh my God, like now I can change something in my life. I can do something different. But also this pressure, what is he going to do differently? And it takes some time and there's some back and forth. But eventually he ends up leaving Uber and then taking two part-time jobs, um, and one of which is as a community habilitation specialist. So he is helping uh, individuals with disabilities to become uh, more fully enmeshed in society. Mm. Um, and and there, you know, there's an entire chapter of the book that is just those stories. The, the woman who was a longtime bartender who becomes a dental assistant um, and I met her actually, and now she's the manager of the dental office. Um, you know, she went from storing money in Jameson jars in her closet to having health insurance and paid disability and a retirement account. Um, just truly life-changing. Mm. Yeah, I, I think the answer Anytime you dig into it, turns out to just be give people money. I mean, right? Yes, just give people money. What they need. I mean, that's what they need. <laughs> that's what they need. Exactly. And then, yeah. you know, they're, you know, one of the big things against giving people money is, oh, well, they might waste it. But, you know, how many times have, have people done big fundraising things and you look at what's there and it's like, oh, wait, no, like people didn't actually need, you know, these water buckets or they didn't need that cozy for their cup or or whatever like just give people money people are inherently good right and they know what they need and they're going to spend that money in a way that is reasonable you know it, one of the things that we ask people is like well, what are you doing with this unemployment money and it was amazing to me, you know, these are in some cases, you know, young 20-somethings that we're interviewing, right? The, the youngest person we interviewed, I think, was 18. And most people are in their 20s, 30s, and all the way up into about 60. Um, and people are often like, oh, yeah, you know, the money came in. I was like, oh, my gosh, this is great. And they'd be like, yeah, I spent, I bought one thing. I needed face soap at Sephora. I splurged. I bought safe food 
I don't know, sorry, I bought face soap at Sephora. And now otherwise I'm just using the money on like paying rent and paying bills. I'm being really good about it. Or they'd be like, oh, I'm trying to save it because I don't know how long this pandemic is going to go on. I don't know how long the unemployment is going to go on. I mean, people were people were really responsible with this money. Like nobody was going out partying. I mean, granted, stay-at-home orders probably helped with that. Um, mm. But, you know, nobody was like, oh, I'm buying a big screen TV. No, people were like, they knew this was a chance. And especially for low-income workers, this was a chance to really change their lot in life. And some of them, some of them really took advantage of that and did amazing things. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, there's so many things that people have to pay for that need attention, that if you give them money, they'll pay for that stuff. And by the way, how can it, if you believe in capitalism, how can you say that any of it's wasted anyway, if it goes right back into the economy? So like, even if they use it, quote unquote, frivolously, uh, does that really hurt the economy? Isn't that what we're all like, you know, what's keeping mm -hmm. this whole, uh, you know, ball, <laughs> the whole thing spinning around is, is uh, discretionary spending. I mean, what is, <laughs> what is moving the wheels of commerce over here? Uh, besides that, you know, that's what they talk about with a Santa Claus rally or whatever in December, or, you know, like this, they want a big push at the end of the year. It's like, well, where do you think people are getting that money from? It's like, wow, consumer spending is up after we just gave people a bunch of money. Gee whiz. <laughs> you know, so it's funny you're talking about that. And I just remember like George W. Bush after September oh, 11th sure. being like, everyone go to the mall, go yeah. shopping. That's what we need. Yep. And yet, you know, like. Now watch this drive. Right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. That's how we defeat the terrorists. Right. Yeah. Um, incredible. Well, um, I will finish this book. I promise. <laughs> it's very interesting. <laughs> um, this has been fun talking to you. Um, I uh, see we're getting down to the last couple minutes here. Um, is there anything else that we didn't talk about relating to this topic or this book that you want to make sure people know or that we didn't touch on? Um, so, you know, I think the one thing we didn't really talk about is sort of what happens when workers you know, who are doing this poly employment when they lose one of their jobs. So oftentimes people turn to poly employment for the same reason they turn to side hustles, right? They need additional money. They want to pursue a passion. Um, and oftentimes poly employment, working multiple jobs is seen as a way to build your own safety net, right? Like you're not going to get fired from three jobs at the same time. And so this is a way to ensure that you're financially stable. But if you do lose one of those jobs and you try to go on unemployment, and often, oftentimes what'll happen is that you are denied unemployment mm -hmm. because you're quote, still working. Mm -hmm. And so you're still working might mm -hmm. be literally giving a dog walk a day mm -hmm. to somebody across town or for, you know, for their pet, but that's going to prevent you from getting unemployment assistance in some states. And so these workers, you know, I, I've talked to workers who find themselves in this really difficult situation because they are still working sort of, or they're freelancers and maybe they have like one freelance gig for the week, but that's going to void out their opportunity to get unemployment. And yet they're not going to get paid for that for weeks. And so, you know, I've talked to workers who have actually turned to sex work escorting because unemployment is not structured for this modern idea 
that one worker might have multiple jobs or might have multiple sources of income. Um, there's another worker I interviewed who actually ends up selling clean pee. Now she realizes she leads a pretty healthy lifestyle and she can meet the need of other workers who maybe partake in some other substances um, and they need to pass their employment drug tests. And so she ends up becoming sort of like a pea farm um, and then selling it to uh, individuals in need for their drug tests because it's a way for her to get cash when unemployment is not meeting her needs completely. And so, you know, what we don't realize is by not fixing our unemployment system, by not structuring it for a modern reality, we might actually be contributing to some kind of questionable behaviors that people are doing, right? Or things that might put them at risk um, in a way that we probably didn't intend. Mm. Yeah. Well, great country. No notes. Everything's right. great. <laughs> um, wow. Thank you for... Uh, going into all that, I definitely think this is a, a very valuable topic. Uh, you're welcome to come back anytime. I'm sure we have uh, more to talk about in this vein and, and others. You say you're writing about uh, these uh, subjects uh, again, so that's that's definitely something I'm interested in. It's, it's definitely, uh, man, we, we need to do something different. But um, one question I do always ask here at the end, though, is what music have you been listening to lately? Oh, <laughs> Um, ah, I have kids, so the most recent song that I heard was the Oompa Loompa song. Wow, throwing it back, okay. I know, yes, and like, complete with like the YouTube, wow. um, the YouTube videos of the, the Oompa Loompas, that, that has not aged well, I have to right? say. It has not aged well. Sure. Yeah, a lot, a, lot of, a lot of body shaming. A lot of, uh, There's yeah. so much bad. I don't even know how to explain it to them. Um, but I, I think the new one is a little scary. The new. Um, oh, yeah. The Tim Burton one. Yeah. Yeah. No, thank you. Yeah. No, that's I'm yeah. good. I'm all the way good on that. Yeah. yeah. No, uh, <laughs> um, I have four kids as well. So, uh, yeah, I, I definitely have been there and done that. Um, but yeah, Roald Dahl had some, you know, as great a writer as he was, he had some problematic uh, beliefs for sure about uh, black and brown people and uh, also different body shapes to, to start with. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Oh, he, yeah. <laughs> no, we, we're figuring out how to explain to the mm. children, like, mm, this was not, a. I mean, you know, even the Roald Dahl website is like, he was not a good person. Mm -mm. But here's some literature, everyone. Sure, absolutely, definitely. Well, it's like when you watch those uh, Disney cartoons now, uh, like the Aristocats and some of those other ones that had some questionable material in it, they have that warning and it's like, look, this was a product of its time. And <laughs> <laughs> we have to put the, the trigger warning disclaimer and it's like, I, I didn't even realize how problematic some of these things were when I was <laughs> watching them initially. And then I'm like, oh, wow, the Siamese cat thing. This is something else. <laughs> oh, it's so bad. Oh, my gosh. Oh, I know. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah. My husband put on, like, Tom and Jerry. And I was just like, we cannot watch this. This is bad. Yeah, exactly. And Song of the South has been just memory hold that Zippity Doodah <laughs> song. Who knows where that came from? <laughs> anyway. 
Um, good times. But uh, anyway, uh, yeah, well, uh, good, good note to end on there. Uh, yeah, I, I definitely have a scrambled uh, Spotify wrapped uh, playlist because of my kids. They completely terrorized my algorithm this year uh, with the uh, Frozen and uh, Little Mermaid songs. And uh, it's, it's living amongst my uh, music and <laughs> it's definitely infected the recommendations for sure. So. <laughs> But, uh, well, awesome yeah it was great talking to you i'm, I'm happy to come back um awesome. and whenever and, and maybe one day we'll even have like an uplifting happy conversation oh my gosh that would be amazing <laughs> it may be a new research topic first but no i mean like the, the stories of the workers the ones that are able to to make it through some of them are really they're hope giving mm, great excellent well uh have a good holiday season and uh, have a good rest of your night thank you you too have a good day <laughs>